Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Busy Tuesday coming your way on Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We'll tell you more about them as we move through the show this afternoon. We will be burning up the Farm Bureau guest line today. Going to be busy there. The uh, Farm Bureau guest line, Farm Bureau, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Michael Casagrande will join us to talk some Alabama basketball. Obviously, we'll be talking with Brian Haydad about Mississippi State's perspective as they host Alabama in a big game tonight for the Bulldogs. Also in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Ryan Brown from Jots in Birmingham. Mike Bianco will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line and Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour in Hattiesburg. So a lot to get to with you, but first, boys, how are you on this Tuesday? A little hoops coming up tonight in Starkville. Hey, Dad. Yeah, sure is. Uh, game tips off, uh, what, five hours from now. I will be at the hump uh, to cover that. And, of course, I had a busy day. Got got the tour in of the brand-new Diddy Noble Field, and, man, was that a lot of fun. Yeah, that's really cool. Tell me about it. It exceeded my expectations, and I had pretty high expectations. But there is so much cool stuff. And and the players, I mean, if you're a player at Mississippi State now, you're talking about you have yet you have some advantages that other other teams aren't going to have. You know, we visited the Mitch Moreland hitting tunnel, which is set up with all of the latest technology. For, you know, to that they have a computer system in there, Richard, where not only does it monitor your swing and tell you this, that, and the other, but you can go on that computer and say you're a Yankee fan, Richard. So let's say Yankee Stadium. You can put Yankee Stadium in there, and it will chart where the balls you hit in there would have landed at Yankee Stadium. Is there like a big video screen that goes with it? No, it's just just a a big monitor, uh, yeah, that they can can look at, yeah. And uh, same with the the pitching lab, uh, which they've they've got set up with all that that technology. We had to see some of the premium seating areas, the – the Omaha Club and the Triple Crown Club. The Triple Crown Club is sort of like the MSU Gridiron Club where you, you're, you're actually out there on the field. Uh, they, they are right there at field level at home plate. Got to see all that. Got to see the new digs for the media, which are very, very nice. Uh, a big step up from where we were before. So, yeah, it's it's really, wait, really Wait, wait, where you were before is in last year or multiple years ago? Well, or both? even two years ago when we were in the old Diddy Noble press box wasn't you know the, the best setup in the world, although I like the, the, the seat right behind home plate. Now we're yeah. a little further down the uh, the left field line, but it's a big, expansive media room. We've got like five or six big screen TVs in there so we can see replays and, and, and things like that, which we never had access to before. Um, it's, it's just really nice you know, from top to bottom. Did you, uh, did you get to check out the lofts in left field? No, they didn't take us out there. I don't... <laughs> 
<laughs> they, they wouldn't let us see how the other half lived. So I, I was a little <laughs> sad about that. I would, I, would have, I would not have minded going out there to see the left field lofts. But no. Are, are you going to be able to swing an invitation from somebody in the name of reporting this year? I, 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 I can try. I can try. If you're listening right now and would like to have me report live from the left field loss, please reach out to me and uh, I'll bring, uh, you know, something for you. I, I don't think you have to bring food. No, I, mean, no, I think no, that's but probably I, I, taken know, care a, of. A fine bottle of, of whiskey for my host would not be a, a bad thing, though. Yeah, there you go. Porky, what's up? Well, I didn't get to do anything cool like tour a stadium today, but otherwise it's a pretty good day. Rippy? You doing well? Yeah, no tours for me, but doing well. You spent some time in the Ole Miss baseball stadium today. I did. Um, Didn't see anything you hadn't seen before? Saw that thousand-yard stare he had working. The, oh, yeah, you can't match that intensity. Um, But we did go inside like the old team room since everything's on the other side now. So Mike had a new stage for his presser. I think he was fired up about that. So what, is there like a new post-game meeting area or something? No, I think we're still going to stick to left field for most post-game stuff, but, um, but, um... Do you say louder or quieter? Talking to the mic, Rippy. You mean scream? No, um, just, you know, like it's not your first day on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, so they, obviously they switched dugout, switched facilities and all that, so like the visiting team locker room and meeting room is just where we had it now. They may do that for regionals or something, because like regionals is really the only time you do like a stage presser everything else is just kind of in the outfield i got you anything interesting out of uh, mike bianco meeting with the media today i mean without spoiling our conversation with him later this afternoon i think the biggest story is probably the fact that uh zach phillips kind of squeezed houston roth out of the rotation and squeezed out it's first weekend but to open the weekend they're going to have zach phillips on saturday gunner hoagland on sunday and of course will etheridge on friday um, and then Roth will probably be the first guy out of the pen on Friday and will likely make the Tuesday start. So, you know, it's fluid. It could change. But I, I think I would say that was one of the bigger surprises, you know, having a newcomer come in and, and grab the Saturday job from opening day. Interesting stuff. We've got a bunch to, uh, to get to with you this afternoon. Mississippi State hosting Alabama tonight at the hump. Is it a must win? Hey, Dad. You know, not only do I think it's a must win, but Ben Howland thinks it's a must-win game. That's what he told us on Saturday. So if the co- head coach is saying it, it's a must-win. Yeah, when you don't have coaches say things like that very often. No, no. When they do, they mean it. You know, yeah. the, the, the guy I always think about is uh, Jim Fossil, the New York Giants head coach, who talked about how his team was – they had their backs against the wall. Every game was a must-win, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So, uh, Or at least go to the Super Bowl that year, I think. So, yeah. I mean, when coaches use that kind of terminology, that is very telling, in my opinion. We'll get the uh, Alabama perspective coming up with Michael Casagrande in just a little bit. Jeffrey Simmons, bad news for the expected first-round draft pick, former Mississippi State defensive lineman, an ACL injury during draft preparation. Have we got any details as to what happened or how it happened? No, no details of that. Just if you read his statements that he just he tore his ACL in his left knee while going through position drills this past weekend while training down in Boca Raton, Florida. Mm. That's just awful. Yeah, I mean you're two months away from signing the big check, man, and 
and it, it just sort of gets taken away from you. So we'll see what happens with Jeffrey. I have to monitor that, and I'm sure we'll, you know, in the coming months and in weeks, we'll hear from uh, from NFL people who's, you know, let us give an idea of where he's going to be drafted. But it makes me think of Jalen Smith, the Cowboys linebacker, who was projected to be a top. Uh, 10 pick, top 15 pick before he got hurt and ended up falling to one of the first five picks of the second round. Uh, you don't ever really make that money back, but you know he's in the league now and thriving a little bit. So we'll see if it's a similar situation for, for Simmons. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, a really good point, actually. It, it does not matter how much money you make in your entire career. It doesn't matter how big of marketing contracts you sign. You, you, you never actually recoup the money that you miss out on on a rookie deal, and yeah. you know we'll see where he uh, he ends up. Um, mentioned on Friday that Ole Miss was beginning the uh, the town hall style meetings with uh, with Ross Bjork. I think seven of those stops. The first one last night was in Cleveland, Mississippi. Uh, they had it at the Grammy Museum there, and some news came out of that, including that Ole Miss was vacating a bunch of wins, thirty three of them to be exact, and uh, we'll give you the details of that. Uh, I, I guess the, the the short answer is Hugh Freeze, according to the NCAA, according to the record books, won 12 games in his tenure as head coach at Ole Miss, which is certainly different than it was. And we get into the what's the point of vacating wins conversation as well because there's the inevitable, yeah, I saw it with my own eyes, which is certainly true. Um, NCAA asking you to erase your memories. Do they have anything that they can actually do that with? Well, if the technology from Men in Black has developed into modern day, all they have to do is hold up a pen in front of your face and hit a little button and boom, it's gone. I could think of some stuff you could get to a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> to erase memories? It goes back to that nice bottle of whiskey I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I, su- I suppose so. Um, Does it kill the right brain cell? The NCAA. Wow. It's a paper penalty. A Pino. Penalty in name only. The only person that is punished... Well, I guess there's two people that are punished, or two things that are punished. One, the SID at Ole Miss that has to go back through game notes and put a little footnote at the bottom of them that this this game was vacated by the NCAA, but everything else will stay the same. The weirdo that edits everything on Wikipedia and Hugh Freeze's ego. Other than that, no penalties. Hey, Dad, what would happen if you just said, okay, that's fine, update your record books, we're not changing anything? You mean from the state perspective? No, no, I mean, like, from Ole Miss's perspective. I said, tell everybody oh. else, you fix whatever you want to. We don't care. We're not changing anything. Uh, I guess we'll get into it a little bit more later, but, I mean, that's sort of the stance I would take because it doesn't matter. Tell me, what, what are you going to say? Are they, can the NCAA penalize you further for not adjusting your Inaccurate spreadsheets? media guides. That's, 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 that's two years probation. Yeah. I, I tend to think that that's the uh, the route that I would go if it were my decision. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody who is more concerned about what the record books actually say. I don't think I'd be changing a whole lot of that. That's just me, though. Ole Miss made a coaching change in football last night. Mike Bianco gave us his starting lineup. D1 Baseball's got some uh, position power rankings. A whole lot more. All that coming your way this afternoon. Michael Casagrande next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. 
Tuesday afternoon. Got a big basketball game coming up tonight in Starkville, Mississippi State, hosting Alabama round two. Crimson Tide got a win in the first meeting between the two teams a couple of weeks ago. To talk a little bit more about it right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Michael Casagrande. He writes at AL.com and on Twitter describes himself as among the worst Alabama beat reporters. Hey, Michael, what's up? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, man. We, we appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Kind of kind of curious how you look at this game tonight. We, we've talked for the last couple of days about the importance of this game for Mississippi State, Ben Howland has called it a must-win game for the Bulldogs, who are 4-6 and six in the league. Looks like right now they're in pretty decent shape for the NCAA tournament, but at some point they've got to win some ball games. What, what's the kind of the, the status of Alabama coming into this game? You know, Alabama, they've won uh, two in a row coming into this game. They beat the two worst teams in the conference. Uh, so it's, it's kind of comes with an asterisk to beat uh, Georgia last week and then at Vanderbilt. On Saturday, um, they've kind of been a uh, little shaky on the road, three and five in road games, um, and I think two of those wins were against Missouri and Vanderbilt, two of the worst teams in the SEC, and then Stephen F. Austin, they're ranked three hundred something in the net ranking. So they don't have any real quality road wins. This would be by far not even close to their best road win if they could get one in Starkville. Um, you know they've been streaky. They've been inconsistent. They've, they've, you know, they'll beat. They beat, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State in consecutive weeks at home, two ranked teams, and then they turn around and lose that following weekend. So uh, they're on their first two game winning streaks since the beginning of January, and um, they haven't won three in a row since the middle of December. So um, you know anything could happen with these two teams. It feels like um, just depending on the night, any uh, any outcome wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, fifteen and eight overall. Uh, you mentioned the Ole Miss game. I was not there, but watched that one. And it's not a night where Ole Miss played particularly well, but I thought Alabama had a lot to do with that. And I kind of walked away from that game going, "Man, they are big and they're athletic and they're fast." And then when it was all said and done, you heard Avery Johnson say it may be the first time that he's seen guys dive on the floor and go after balls the way they did in that game in the entire time that he's been at Alabama. So. What can what can Avery do to kind of harness that type of play and replicate it night in, night out? Yeah, I guess that's the constant challenge you're dealing with uh, a young young team. I mean, they've got a they've got a mixture of some some guys that are as young as 17 with Kyra Lewis, uh, their reading score uh, should be a senior in high school this year, but but left uh, but enrolled early uh, and in. Uh, because that was back in August. Um, and then you got some really senior guys. Um, Riley Norris has been around about as long as, you know, basketball's been played, it feels like. He's fifth-year graduate senior. So uh, he's kind of one of those guys who's going to get on the Dr. Naismith, uh, Naismith was his uncle? Right, yeah. I mean, he's a Hunter Renfro of, of college basketball, as it put before <laughs> yesterday. Um, but he's, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got that mixture of people, and uh, it's just kind of getting that right that right. Mindset in some of these road games where they'd go to Auburn a week and a half ago and just looked like they were not in it mentally, didn't have that right mindset, and they got boat raised uh, by 21. Uh, that's the one time, the only time this season where they've truly been run out of the gym. They've at least uh, played close, uh, closely with everybody they've lost to since then. So, um, you know, it's 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 going to be an interesting game. I've already, you know, it's one of those things where you could convince you with anything with this game tonight. 
Hey, Michael, it's Brian Haydad. So you and I were both there in Tuscaloosa uh, a couple weeks ago, and Alabama just made a living against Mississippi State in the paint. I think they had 54 points in the paint. I think 76 of their total 83 came either in the paint or from the free throw line. If State can make an adjustment tonight and limit them down low, does Alabama have the shooters to, to win this game if they have to win the game from the perimeter? I mean, they, they definitely have won some you know, certain games with some perimeter shooting. They've been kind of streaky with that. Kyra Lewis, Kyra Lewis can shoot the three. Uh, Tevin Mack uh, has been as streaky as it comes. He can hit for 25 one night and then go scoreless the next. Um, Riley Norris, again, he's a guy who's a pretty pure shooter from the perimeter. They, um, I don't know if they're among the best teams in the SEC for three-point shooting, but on, on a given night, um, you know, John Petty, he's another one of those guys who's Tricky shooter. I think he hit 10 threes in his second game here, um, but has been shot as well on the road. Um, so, you know, if you know, it, it, on a given night, it could happen. On a given night, they could go. I think they went one for 15 from three pointers a couple, couple games ago. So, you know, it's it's an interesting team just because it is. You know, they can they they win or lose games in every possible way. So um, that maybe that makes them more difficult to scout because. It's not a Colin Sexton team like last year where you knew you knew where everything all roads are going to run through one guy. And with the team that's here, it feels like it has run through several different guys on any given night. Um, that probably makes things a little bit more difficult to scout. Hey, Michael, how many future pros are on this team right now? I, I'm just kind of thinking about the way that, that Avery's recruited the last couple of years. Obviously, you've got Colin Sexton in the league already after, after just one year. But with this current team, how many pros are there? Good question because, I mean, before Colin Sexton, um, he was the first draft pick Alabama's had in, in a, a firm decade. I think 2008 was the last guy they had or anyone drafted. So it's been a while since they've really produced many programs. Uh, you know, I know Herbert, Herbert Jones was, was getting some pro uh, talk before the season but hasn't had – doesn't have to really jump shot. Um that's a good question. I mean, Dante Dante Hall could could possibly have that possibility as a, as a bigger guy. Um, but I don't know. Is there anybody in this team? I mean, Kyra Lewis, when he's still pretty young, is there anybody in this team who is like a um, definite draft pick who's going to be a definite player? I don't know. I don't know if I could say that. But um, there's some you know some guys with potential. It just kind of depends on they shake out. Do, do you think John Petty's game lends itself to the to the program after maybe a couple more years? Yeah, I think he's he's making more progress towards that this year, uh, showing more of uh, the ability to get to the basket. Um, uh, when he came in here last year, I think it's kind of a a complimentary role next to Sexton, and wasn't really looking to slash, wasn't looking to the rim. He was kind of a a perimeter shooter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of thing where he came in with all the recruiting hype. He was he was going to be the big recruit in that class before uh, Sexton's profile really rose. So. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's the possibility there, the potential there. I guess it's just all the game yeah. coming together and, and being more consistent um, with his scoring because it can it can go from you know twenty five to, to three on a given night. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, Michael. This should be a fun one tonight. We uh, appreciate a few minutes of your time today. Yeah, definitely. Look forward to seeing you guys out there tonight. All right, we'll catch up with you soon. Michael Casagrande from AL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ByCasagrande, C-A-S-A-G-R-A-N-D-E.
on Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Glad to have you along for the ride. C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. You can save it in your phone if you'd like, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Please don't text and drive. So the biggest game on the docket tonight in the SEC happens in the Bluegrass State, Kentucky. Big week at Rupp Arena. Tonight they host LSU, and on Saturday they host Tennessee. Cats are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite tonight. Mississippi State is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Alabama. Texas A&M a five-point favorite against Georgia in College Station in Missouri is a one-point underdog at home against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, What about that Kentucky-LSU game tonight? Is that the game of the night nationally? It should be, in my opinion. Yeah, is there something happening in the ACC? Duke at Louisville is also tonight. Eh. It's a pretty big one. They had a great game last night. Uh, North Carolina-Virginia. It was a really good game. Yeah. And uh, the Kansas-TCU game was entertaining. Went to overtime as well um, in last night's ballgame. Let's see. Tonight you've got Purdue at Maryland. That's a top 25 matchup. You have Michigan State at Wisconsin, both in the top 25. LSU at Kentucky. Uh, Let's see. Other top 25 teams. Number two, Duke at number 16, Louisville. Uh, Kansas State is at Texas. A big game for uh, for Texas. They're kind of kind of on the bubble, probably on the wrong side of the bubble right now, but a chance to uh, to get better. Do uh, you like LSU or Kentucky tonight in Lexington? How can you bet against Kentucky at this point? I mean, they're playing really, really well, and they're at home. Uh, LSU. It's sort of like you've been saying, Richard. When they're interested, they play great, you know. But can Will Wade hold their interest? I think they can for you know a big game like this. But it's tough to bet against Kentucky right now. Wouldn't this be the game where you are able to fully grab the attention of your of your basketball team? You you better hope so. If you can't do it for this one, I don't know how you plan to do it down the road. I tend to lean in the direction of Kentucky also, but this feels like one of those nights where Tremont Waters might go for thirty four. Big stage, makes a couple of shots early, gets hot, really feels it. Am I crazy? No, and like you said, there's not much motivating that wiretap Will is going to need to get his team ready for this one. I laugh every time (laughs) you say that. Uh, I actually plagiarized that from you the other night, Borky. I said wiretap Will to my roommate, and he was laughing for a couple minutes. Take it. (laughs) Using it is is all the credit I need. Of course, Ashton Hagens is probably the guy that's going to draw the defensive assignment against Tremont Waters. That's a pretty good matchup right there. I think you're right in the sense that Waters is going to have a big game, but does LSU give up 85 or 90? Kentucky just hasn't been a team, though, that is consistently scoring 85 or 90. True. Yeah. But defensively, they're really, really good. I mean, they just they work hard. And Hagen's on, on Waters is a great offense-defense matchup, although Waters is pretty good defensively, too. 
And this is like one of two shots for LSU, right, to kind of prove that they're up there with Tennessee and Kentucky as far as maybe not maybe not winning the league but challenging for it, right? I mean, this is kind of their first crack at it. Yeah, you know, the the other thing with just kind of looking at the at the matchup between these two teams, and Kentucky's fourth in the league in scoring at almost 79 points a game, LSU's third at 83 a game. They are pretty different, though, in defense. Kentucky, 65 points a game allowed. That trails only Florida. LSU's 11th in the league, giving up 73 a game. But the the defense, I think there's something to that. Here's the other thing. Kentucky's pretty average shooting the three. And then LSU's bad shooting the three, just from a, from a percentage standpoint. If Kentucky has a night, because they've got some guys that look like they ought to be able to shoot the three, if Kentucky has one of those games where they shoot it from deep, the way Duke did against Virginia the other night, because Duke's a terrible three-point shooting team, all, all of a sudden that's a scary basketball team. Do, do you see one of those nights coming where Tyler Hero hits eight threes and Hagens grabs a couple and, you know, Reed Travis knocks down one and P.J. Washington steps out and hits one? I mean, you never know, but they haven't had that kind of game this year. And those guys are good shooters, especially Hero. He, he, he can shoot the three ball. So, I mean, you got to figure it's coming at some point. You know, maybe it's just a freak occurrence, like what you like you said about Duke, where you know they're not going to do that every game, but maybe they have one game where they're just hot. And if that's the case, like you said with LSU, they're not the best perimeter shooting team unless Nas Reed is getting the all-time shooter's roll off of a three-pointer. But yeah, they that that would be a situation where I would think LSU would be in a lot of trouble if if Kentucky comes out and starts hitting from the perimeter, just like we saw the other night with Duke. It doesn't. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do to stop them at that point. Yeah. Do they need to have one of those nights though? No, they don't need to, but, man, would it help. Kentucky's made the fewest three-pointers in the SEC. Out of all four teams, nobody has made fewer threes than Kentucky, 142 of them. I mean, just from a purely athletic standpoint, I mean, what, there's maybe two teams in the SEC that can player-for-player player match up with Kentucky's athleticism? LSU. Tennessee, maybe Auburn? Yeah. Auburn at full Just, strength, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the matchup tonight with Mississippi State and Alabama? Alabama is... They're a five-point the, dog, by the way. I, I mis, mistyped in those notes. Uh, Mississippi State's yeah, the home favorite. Right, right. That's what I said. I had double-checked that because it, it kind of looked fishy to me. So Mississippi yeah. State, a five-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. So pretty comparable in points per game allowed, pretty comparable in defense. I mean, on paper, from a numbers standpoint, this is a really even matchup. Yeah. What's the key tonight? For State, it's it's you got to do the two things that you didn't do the last time you played them, and that's 
one, you got to keep them out of the paint somehow. You got to, you can't give up the amount of paint points that State did against Alabama. You just can't have them making a living that close to the rim. And then two, you know, State shot the ball very poorly against Alabama. You got to clean that up, especially from the, the uh, free throw line. State was terrible in that game from the free throw line. Uh, when, when you have those, you got you got to knock them down. So State just needs to shoot a little bit better, but they need to be a lot better defensively if they want to beat Alabama tonight. Don't you figure rebounding some of it too? These are two teams that re- get, you know, physical inside and and grab rebounds pretty well. Yeah, I mean that's part of it. You talk about you know, when you're in the paint, it's not just points; it's it's rebounds as well. And, and you know, state for starting Reggie Perry, I assume he'll be in the starting lineup tonight. I think that's a safe assumption. I think you know he had a huge game against Alabama. That was really the start of him being the SEC Freshman of the Week. He had three good games in a row before getting into foul trouble Saturday uh, against uh, Kentucky. Uh, being in the starting lineup from the start, I, th- I think will help with that. And then playing Robert Woodard a little bit more will, will give them some, some some extra athleticism and get them a little extra explosiveness uh, near the hoop to grab some of those rebounds. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State's the second best three point shooting team in the league. They're they're, they're hitting at a thirty seven point two percent clip, and that's only like half of a thousandth thousandth of a percentage point behind Auburn. Right. So. Why do I not feel like Mississippi State's a great three-point shooting team? Is it because they're so streaky? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly why. Because they have had some really bad games. They've had some clunkers of, you know, three for seventeen or or whatever it is, something like that. And you know, I think a lot of that is they're sort of been buoyed by you know in non-conference play. They were really really good. I mean, think about that game against Clemson where they were what, nineteen of thirty. They shot sixty some odd percent from back there, and they had some games like that. And they've had some games where they're forty-five, forty-six percent. But they have some games where they're they're really really off, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's, it's just a perception thing, you know. You look at the actual stats; they're they're a good. Sh- and the other thing is they're, they're not a clutch shooting team. I don't think, you know, when you think about the three ball, you think about guys hitting you know shots that make a difference in the game, and state you know just hits three pointers throughout the game. But the games are close throughout, and it never feels like they're hitting a shot that like is a momentum maker for them. All the things we interesting stuff. So you don't think I'm completely crazy for kind of having no. a perception? I, I you, you people will love to hear this. You are probably thinking a lot like a lot of Mississippi State fans when you say that. <laughs> you better be careful. Somebody's going to throw something at you tonight. Now. <laughs> Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. I'm not trying to gloss over the uh, news about Ole Miss and the vacation of wins yesterday. Just making a little light of it as we uh, as we go through it. So, last night, Ross Bjork was meeting with, um, really? Ross Bjork was meeting with um, folks in Cleveland, Mississippi, and was doing the first of seven town hall meetings, and was taking questions. It was a short opening statement, and then basically for an hour and a half, just any questions you have, feel free to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And one of the questions that somebody asked was, when are we going to find out about wins to uh, whether or not any wins have to be vacated as part of the penalties? And I was not there. I didn't hear it. But I can only assume that Ross Bjork said, uh, funny you ask that. Because here's your answer. Ole Miss will vacate a total of 33 wins that include both the Houston Nutt and Hugh Freeze eras. The win vacations span six seasons, 
four wins in 2010, two in 2011, which, by the way, is all of the wins from those two seasons, seven wins in 2012, seven wins in 2013, eight in 2014, and five in 2016. Ole Miss is giving up its 2012 BBVA Compass Bowl win. You remember that kind of cold day in Birmingham when 50,000 people, 50,000 Ole Miss fans showed up at the old gray lady, the venerable Legion Field, to watch Ole Miss in Pittsburgh. However, the 2013 Music City Bowl win and the 2016 Sugar Bowl win are not affected. The 2015 season was not affected because Laramie Tunsil, the player whose eligibility was in question, was held out of seven games while being investigated. His participation in games in 13 and 14 were the reason for those vacated wins. The vacated wins in 2010, 11, 12, and 16 also stemmed from participation of an ineligible player. Uh, So the Magic Eraser takes those wins away. But it does there... not change the losses, though. So, uh, like, the Tennesseans <laughs> today ha- had a thing where the, the last time Tennessee played Ole Miss, Tennessee got smoked. It was like 35-3, to just an ugly game. Yeah. And they ran a thing today about how that game never happened. Well, that's, that's not how it works. Actually, the losses still count, but the wins do not. So, half of the teams played in that game, and they lost, I guess. How does it? When did the the NCAA go from forfeits to vacancies? Because state forfeited two and a half years worth of games in the uh, the seventies, and I know that Ole Miss and State both count them as that they gave they gave the wins to Ole Miss that that State won on the field. But now it's a vacation, and, and, and it doesn't go that way. When, when did that occur? Oh, it's anything know? but a vacation, hey Dad. I'm here to you tell know what you. I mean. <laughs> Hey. Yes, I know what you mean. But that said, I mean, when, when did that? Does anybody know when that occurred? Because it used to be forfeits, and you would you would change the record, and it would count as a uh, well, as a win for at least a forfeit. Kind of does something. Vacating wins, it, win vacation, whatever you want to call it, is by far the dumbest possible penalty that the NCAA can put on a team. It affects nobody except for the SID. So Kyle Campbell probably had a little bit extra work to do today, adding a footnote at the end of uh, all the game notes from previous seasons. And like I said at the top of the show, Hugh Freeze's ego is probably a little hurt today. Other than that, it doesn't affect anything. It's a paperwork penalty, and it's a big waste of time. Rippy, I did an interview on a, uh, uh, a show in Atlanta today, and uh, – Made some reference to it. I said, "Hey, does the uh, will the NCAA take the losses also?" Nope, nope, no, not going to take those. It's not as if the games didn't actually happen. I mean, which, which okay, think about it. You you had an ineligible player, and as a result, those games didn't happen. And to 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 Borky or excuse me to Haydad's point, you're not giving the win to the other team, you're just taking away the win. It's as if you're saying, no, it never actually happened. And so the NCAA is kind of like wagging their finger in your face going, yeah, we're going to take away your wins, but you get to keep your losses. Ha, 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 ha. 
Borky, you've been looking for a name for your podcast. Vacated Wins is the name of your podcast. That's a good one. That's excellent. We have a text that came in here from the 662 asking, will they change the Egg Bowl trophy? I'm just telling you that if Brian Haydad was the athletic director, when when Ole Miss saw that trophy next, there would be some asterisks next to 2012 and 2014. Just little tiny asterisks. I don't have the motor skills for that. What? To... Like, engrave an well, I mean, I'm not going to engrave it yeah. myself. I would send it back to the jeweler. They need to send it back anyway. Because you you think they might they fix the up. font while they're at it? They got to they fix those scores that are messed up that we tweeted that I tweeted about like a month ago or two months ago. So the trophy has every individual score on it? It does. Yes. They're just not all right. Just... That seems tedious. The and scores in... are right. The winning teams aren't in the right place, though. And the, uh, the random... They're random font sizes sprinkled all about yes. the trophy as well. Yeah. Sounds um, like maybe we need to just get a new trophy. Just kind of start over. Yeah. The Civil Litigation Bowl. Oh, come on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it goes and goes and goes, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. hey, what else do we do with the whole wins vacated thing? I mean... Other than something to talk about a little bit today, it, 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 there's no meaning here, is there? It, no. I mean, I guess it puts an end I mean, the, to the all snark of it. was on full display last night when this came out, as it should have been from from opposing fans. So, so maybe that's part of maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's a little public ridicule they want to inflict. I mean, unless I'm missing something, the most significant thing here is not. Like, they can't have any public display of the Birmingham Bowl and that trophy, which, like, I was talking to Parrish Alford earlier at lunch before the baseball thing, and he was like, not that the the Birmingham Bowl is ever overly important, but at that time period for that program, that was a really important win and a really important day All right, for but, them. But, but seriously. No, no, uh, that no, no I know. A, a trophy for, for winning the BBVA Compass Bowl. Is Ole Miss supposed to go put it in a closet and not display it anymore? Are they supposed to send, to send it back to the people in Birmingham? You send it to Pitt, right? Isn't that who? Uh, isn't they, that who Ole Miss played that game? Uh, they, don't, they, they don't. They don't get the win. Uh, that's a good point. And then the, the other thing they're considering this: Ole Miss got to keep the trophy that mattered to them was that Sugar Bowl trophy. There's a lot of talk: was are they going to have to give that up? No. Uh, Ross Bjork said that that will remain in Oxford. It, it's they, just they a didn't big, have to vacate. They didn't have to vacate any of those games from that 2015 season. It's just a big dumb waste of time. The 15 season was cleared because Tunsil was Tunsil held was out suspended. seven games while right. it was investigated, then cleared or whatever. Right, right. And then, hey, did did any of those North Carolina grads have to vacate their diplomas? Richard, the university explained that. They said those classes are legitimate. They're just not. They're just not hard. I thought they said they weren't real. <laughs> I don't know. No, what is real? It. That's right. We live in a world as... where you can buy a tiger on the black market and keep it in your garage. What's real, Richard? Well, that's the key, though. They didn't admit it. You saw that with the Missouri thing last week. The NCAA was literally like, "Well, they didn't admit those classes weren't real, so they got off." And and I mean the the reality. That, that goes along with this is, okay, so Ole Miss didn't actually beat Mississippi State in 2014. Well, what changes? We're going to go back and replay the playoffs now? They should. Mississippi State is the four seed. Ohio State's so, so, out. So let, 
Let's put the old alumni team back together for Mississippi State and let them go back. Prescott leading that team. I feel really good. Yeah. The problem is you got offensive linemen that can still go (laughs) that have been out of the game for four years. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe none of none of them are current. There, there are a couple guys on practice squads. Nobody's currently playing in the NFL. But I'll just yeah. take my chances with with Dak and Chris Jones and Bernard McKinney and those guys. A lot of That's a lot not, of the defenses in the NFL. Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad roster. Only problem is the other teams that ended up in the playoff also had some NFL guys on their roster. That's true. That's true. Especially that, yeah, Alabama and Ohio uh, State. So yeah. Anyway, I mean. I, I honestly, well, one had I'd heard people ask about, well, when are they going to find out about vacated wins? And I just assumed because it hadn't happened or hadn't been announced that this was done. Apparently, Ole Miss has known about this for a while, and they just said, "Well, nobody's really asked about it. We, we would put it out there eventually." Okay. Is there anything? Is there another shoe to drop with regard to the NCAA, or is this the end, the end, the end, the end? It is the end of the end of the end. Very well. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Mississippi State has a baseball availability this afternoon, so Brian Haydad is headed that way to talk to Chris Lamonis and company. Now just three days away from the start of the college baseball season. Busy 5 o'clock hour coming up with you this afternoon. We are going to visit with Ryan Brown from Jocks during the college football fix. We'll talk a little bit of AAF. I think there's a connection to college football with uh, the Alliance of American Football. Mike Bianco will join us uh, 20 minutes after 5. We'll talk about the Rebels' upcoming season with the head coach at Ole Miss and then Luke Johnson a little bit after that to uh, talk some hoops and a little bit of baseball uh, as it pertains to uh, to Southern Miss. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi, 601-879-4395 is the number for the C Spire text line. You can text the show. You can also tweet us at Sports Talk, M-I-S-S. So the news about Jeffrey Simmons is... Really sad. Um, and can I just can I just say for a second? You can feel however you want to feel about Jeffrey Simmons, and 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 frankly, I'm talking to non-Mississippi State fans, but because I think overwhelmingly Mississippi State fans have moved on from his issues before he got to school there. That it's just okay. Not not that not that what happened was okay, but he has been a model citizen, stayed out of trouble, was an outstanding football player, and that chapter has been um it's been put to bed. But there are a whole lot of other people Ole Miss fans and others who seem to kind of delight in the bad news, and I guess I understand why, because of the the five year run. I just, I just it's such a bad look. 
This guy is about to sign a contract for multiple million dollars. And Jeffrey Simmons tears an ACL. In draft prep, not even at the combine, I mean, not not that it would make it any better um, if it happened at the combine, but he's just at a workout facility. Like, hundreds of other guys are getting ready for the combine, getting ready their opportunity to take a shot at their dream. Projected first-round NFL draft pick Jeffrey Simmons tears an ACL on his left knee getting ready for the combine. He uh, he put out a statement on Twitter, said, As I sit and want to ask why, I reflect on how much God has brought me through. A very emotional time for me and my family. As you all know, I've been preparing for the 2019 draft. Unfortunately, I tore the ACL on my left knee when I was going through position drills this past weekend while training in Boca Raton. He went. In, you can find that on his Twitter um, page and read the entire statement. Surgery coming early next week. He will be drafted. The question is, where will he be drafted? Mel Kuyper had him ranked as the number 12 overall draft prospect in his latest big board. Um, projected number 7 overall pick, according to Todd McShay. And... You wonder what that's going to mean. Does it mean that he is now an early second-round pick? Does he fall later into the second round? So what's the team now who's got the appetite for a dominant defensive lineman with a torn ACL? I mean, When you look at the teams that are out there, and we can either go specific teams or we can kind of generalize if you want to, so, so, Borky, what do you have to have or be as a football team to say, you know, with the first pick that we've got in the second round, we're going to take a guy who we're pretty confident is not going to step on the field at all for us as a rookie? Yeah, uh, my question was how much, this is really unfair to ask, but how much can be shown by the draft, what is it, in mid-May, to know how his recovery is going? Is anybody scared of an ACL injury anymore? Like like the the the, the comeback from an ACL injury? It's becoming like Tommy John in baseball, right? Where it's almost expected you come back and recover, but still an explosive 300-pound defensive lineman, you still have to be at least some level of skeptical. It's different when you're that size playing that position. But... To your point, it's viewed so much differently now. I mean, what, 20 years ago, an ACL injury was the end of a career. Now it's like every fifth guy in the NFL has had one, one way or another. And and some have had multiple. Um, Dan, you say as a lifelong Southern Miss fan, you're saddened by the news about Jeffrey Simmons. Such a shame. Bradley, you suggest that the Bears could be an interesting landing spot. Right? A really good defense that doesn't have to have an immediate impact. A team that has got a lot of pieces coming back. Probably gets an offensive player in the first round. But a defense is going to be really, really salty. 
Parrish Alford sends me a text right now. It says, you got to be someone who manages the draft well and can make do without that high pick by doing something else. And then he says, Patriots? Question mark. That would make a lot of sense. Even that, though that, Hunter Renfro is in the draft, and you know Bill Belichick just has to get him. Yeah, he can get Hunter Renfro in the 17th <laughs> round, though. But don't you think it'll be like a Jalen Smith thing where he's not... I mean, I don't think he's getting drafted in the first round. But this because the... Like, what is the demand? Like, you, you could probably take a chance and get him in the second or third round for a cheaper deal, and then it end up being a steal. Yeah, but... I mean, you're, you're weighing the risk of how badly do you want him and how late can you get him, right? Yeah, but... Let's, let's say you've got the... I don't have the draft order in front of me. Let's say you've got the 28th pick in the first round and you believe that he is a... once healthy, an 8- to 10-year pro that has all pro potential. Is it worth going ahead and using that end of the first round pick, knowing that you're not going to have him for a year, if you've already got a really good football team? Or do you roll the dice because your second pick isn't until, I don't know, 41 in the draft, and there's absolutely no guarantee he's still going to be on the board 10 picks into the second round? Does that make sense? I mean, I guess that's what really the entire draft is. I mean, it's... Yeah. I have a feeling somebody's going to take a chance on him at the end of the first. You don't think he's a first-round pick? No, no, no. Not necessarily that. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. It's just... To me, isn't it hard to gauge the temperature of the market for a guy that you know is not going to be on the field? Like, this is awful. This is, like, the worst possible timing. Like, it, you, you hate to see that. Like, the guy's so close to having, you know, a life-changing, you know, signature on a contract, and, and you have this happen, and I, I hope and I think everything will work out well for him. But do you do y'all really think the like, you think someone's going to spend a first-round pick on someone that you don't think, and that you pretty much know won't be on the field for a year? Because to me, it seems like that—that's something you would spend a second or a third round pick on. But that's why but I think late wait. one, though, because it's—it'll yeah. be somebody that doesn't need him to be there immediately. And it's not—I I mean, is it really a full twelve month recovery anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like nine to twelve months, right? Probably depends on the person. But I mean, nine months puts you what in December, January? Well, I guess. I mean, what's stopping L.A. from taking taking him? They have the best defensive line in football. They don't need anybody else anywhere, really. They went to the Super Bowl. Maybe uh, some offensive line help, but they, they don't need anybody. So what's stopping them from taking a flyer on this kid with an ACL injury? And if he comes back healthy, they make the best defensive line in football the best defensive line in football history. According to Very Well Health, I have no idea what that website is. It says recovering from an ACL surgery can take anywhere from two to six months, however, nine months or more to return to pre-injury condition. Nine to 12 months, I think, is generally what people talk about with an ACL. But if you take him and you're into end of October, beginning of November, before he's back to pre-injury condition, are you going to run him out there for the end of the season? 
Who knows? I don't know the answer to that. A lot of responses on the C Spire text line. Um, projected in the teens, no way he goes in the first now. Late second, early third. Um, somebody says end of second round, nobody spends a first round pick on somebody who doesn't make an immediate impact. Stan, you say he's still a first rounder, top 15 pick. I don't think so. So a lot of varying discussions there. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, maybe it's time to build a dream house. Maybe you're buying a piece of hunting property or it's just a spot to get away. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You can find a branch location near you or just give them a call. All of that information available on their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, it's Ryan Brown from Jocks in Birmingham, WJOX. He is a co-host of the Jocks Roundtable. Ryan, where, where we sit, it's not people counting days, but more like counting the hours and the minutes to uh, first pitch of the college baseball season. Same thing in Alabama? <laughs> Uh, in a word, no. Um, it, it just doesn't. Uh, that's crazy. I, you know, every time I'm on with you around this time, I'm always. It's just always so weird to me how much bigger college baseball is in the state of Mississippi than it is in Alabama. It just doesn't really register as much in Alabama. And some of that is level of success. I mean, no Alabama team. Gosh, I, I can't. It's been the nineties since anybody's been to Omaha in this state. So, uh, no, it just doesn't doesn't have the same feel as, as it does there for Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Southern Miss and all those teams. I promise not to talk to you about college baseball the whole time, but I am curious. I mean, Alabama, you know, they did the big stadium upgrade and kind of tried to create the area out beyond the right field wall. If if there was a really big university push to make baseball a big deal, would Alabama fans respond? Um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Define big push to make it a big deal. Are you talking about? Because I think people are very encouraged by Brad Bohannon, the coach. I think they like him, and I think they think he'll, you know, he's known to be a good recruiter and will do a good job. Um, so I don't know what more you could do. I mean, they allow them to bring coolers, so selling alcohol. I don't know that that would be any sort of enticement for the students. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know what more could be done. I think they tried. Like you said, they've upgraded the stadium and they improved it considerably. And they've added that right field area, and to a certain extent, I think kind of allowed the students to get pretty rowdy out there, which is what they want. Sure. Um, so beyond that, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Other than the product of the field improving, what more could be done, really? Yeah, it, it really is an interesting dynamic. I mean, you're talking about you know a, a two-hour drive, two and a half-hour drive from Oxford, a 45-minute drive from Starkville to, to Tuscaloosa, Auburn, a little bit farther from both spots, but just one state away. That it's it's just, I mean, other than for the diehard baseball fans, it's just an afterthought. Whereas in Mississippi, and I guess maybe this is to your point, and I know you said you kind of think it's crazy that or, or or interesting that it's such a big deal here. It's just become an event. 
I mean, it, it's it's a big deal that people have on their calendars and look forward to really all year long. Yeah, uh, I, I would say you know the spring games are that in this state. People, you know, they announce the spring game dates, and, you know, during the season, and people circle that date and make plans to go tailgate and spend the day in Tuscaloosa, the day in Auburn for that. But you know, that's a singular day, so it's not like the you know the baseball series. And, and look, I mean, you go, you, you've seen both parts. I mean, attendance is probably for a good game. What forty five hundred in Auburn. 4,500 at Tuscaloosa. Sure. Um, and I know, you know, state fans and Ole Miss fans laugh at those numbers because of what they draw, you know, at Duty Noble and at Swayze. Um, hey, how about my knowledge of baseball stadium? Maybe you have to be impressed with that, right? Did I say well, well right? done. Well done. You got it yeah, right. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think I think people would, you know, in, in Mississippi would laugh at those numbers, but, you know, I mean, a, a good series draws probably twelve to 13,000 total fans, and I think that's considered a success at both campuses. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you on that front. Ryan Brown from uh, the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham, WJOX. So, inaugural AAF game this weekend, um, the Birmingham Iron playing at Legion Field. Crowd seemed decent. All right, what was your role? Were you there just covering it, or were you actually doing the radio broadcast? Uh, no, I had no real role other than the fact that, um, you know, I mean, it was a new product in our town. I just wanted to see it for myself. So, um, you think? I guess, you know, I was pleasantly surprised with the level of play, the size of the crowd. And let me stop there because they announced paid attendance was 17500 okay. And apparently that wasn't, in fact, the paid attendance, but... There were probably, and they, they gave tickets away. They had tickets in schools uh, in the week leading up, so they were trying to pay for the joint a little bit, no doubt. Um, there were probably twenty five to 30,000 people there, and that was surprising to me. I did not know what the turnout would be, what the crowd would be, and I was impressed with it. And the thing I was impressed most with the crowd is how into it they got. I mean, like from the first play. They were making noise for an early third down. And, you know, this is a team you've got no emotional investment in. They've never played a game. So I, I didn't know what to expect from the crowd. I was pleasantly surprised by that. The level of play, you know, was better than I thought it was. Look, in these leagues, you know this, in these leagues, it's not offensive line and quarterback. And simply there just aren't enough good offensive linemen and quarterbacks to go around in the NFL, much less in a secondary league. So, you know, you're going to have that issue, but this league has instituted some rules to kind of protect the offensive line and protect the quarterback, you know, all, all the blitzing and things of that nature. So I think the league stands a chance to make it. As long as they can keep a relationship with the NFL the way they started, I think it stands a chance to make it long term. I really do. Do you anticipate in Birmingham and, and the other markets as well that people are going to look at this as a novelty and they'll – go to the first game or maybe go to the first few home games assuming the weather is reasonable and then it'll just kind of dwindle off or do you see this as something that actually might gain a little momentum and as it goes along the crowds could potentially get bigger well i think weather is a key i mean i think you hit it there people aren't you know sunday wasn't the nicest day well there let me there are a couple of keys i'm glad i said sunday because one of the keys this week was it was a uh, it was a one o'clock or three excuse me a three o'clock kick on Sunday, and that is big. I mean, you know, Birmingham. A lot of people go to church on Sunday in Birmingham, and that's good. They should. And 
um, that that creates a time crunch for people that won't allow them to get to some of the earlier Sunday kickoffs. Like a one o'clock kickoff will be tough for a lot of people. Um, so there, this next game this weekend is Saturday. Um, if there's good weather, I will be really interested to see what the crowd is like Saturday because Birmingham won convincingly. And if you've got good weather, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if that type of crowd or even more turns out for a 1 o'clock Saturday kick just to see this thing. Um, I think as long as they win and it's a somewhat entertaining product, I, I think it's more than just a passing fancy. But I, I think Birmingham's a tough crowd because Birmingham knows football. So these these fans will recognize good and bad football. You won't be able to fake it. I think it'll have to be a good product for people uh, to continue to latch on. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Ryan Brown on your radio. What was the reaction you guys had that today to the uh, the news that Ole Miss was having to vacate 33 wins, uh, including, I guess, a couple of regular season wins uh, against Alabama, or at least the 2014 win in Oxford against Alabama? How stupid it is that the NCAA does that. And uh, most of our listeners, now I do the show with two other people, uh, Lance and I, we're on one side. Dunaway felt as though Ross Bjork maybe shouldn't have gone after the NCAA because you never know when you'll be back into the NCAA. Um, most of our listeners like the fact that he basically said, you can take the wins away, but you can't take away us tearing down the goalpost and rushing the field and things like that. Um, all the listeners were united in what, what stupidity it is, and it's happened in this state. So there are a lot of fans in this state who have lived through vacated wins, and they think it's dumb. Um, but I think a lot of people were united behind you know, the, the sentiments of Ross Bjork, and this is just a stupid penalty. It's stupid. You know, the games have been played. Nobody goes back and thinks Alabama won that game. You know, they lost the game. Nobody think, goes back and thinks Auburn won the game that Ole Miss had to vacate. You know, they saw the game. Everybody saw these games. You're not changing anything. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, really. And, and we probably don't want to take, like, a magnifying glass or a microscope and try to figure out if every single player that played in that game on both teams should have been eligible or should have not been eligible for anything that might or might not have happened. I don't think anybody would want that, no. I don't think anybody <laughs> involved in that game would want that. I, I just, I mean, and furthermore, you know, it, it's, I, I would say that if you took every coach in America, all of them, and lined them up, and said, you can have Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney's success over the next decade, but you're going to have to eventually vacate those wins and those championships. I think every coach in America would, would say, I'll take that down. I'll take that I'll take that offer because people are going to remember what I did on the field, not what some NCAA ruling was later on. Especially if they don't feel like they have to vacate those paychecks that went along with winning at that level. To my knowledge, now, uh, even though uh, Hugh Freeze now has 15 wins, technically, he still got that paycheck, right? He, he, he didn't have to give money back. Well, yeah, I mean, he left a lot of money on the table, but no, I don't think he had to return the money that he was actually paid <laughs> in the time that he was the head coach. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did. Yeah, yeah. Always good to visit with you, Ryan. Have a great, uh, great Tuesday afternoon. All right, Richard. Thanks, buddy. All right, that's Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham. That was your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Mike Bianco joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, 
Brian Scott Rippy, Brian Haydad already slipped out for the afternoon. You got hoops coming up tonight in Starkville, Mississippi State, hosting Alabama. Ole Miss on the road tomorrow night against Auburn. Coming up on Friday, the start of the college baseball season. And right now with you on the Farm Bureau phone line, head coach of the Ole Miss baseball team, Mike Bianco, beginning his 19th season as the head coach in Oxford. Coach, opening day almost here. I I was doing a little digging earlier today. I'm curious how much you remember about your first opening day at Ole Miss. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously a long time ago, you know, uh, 18 years ago. But uh, I remember we played a doubleheader against Little Rock. Uh, I remember we won the first game and then got destroyed in, in game two. But uh, that's about all I remember. How about the attendance being 1,216 on opening day? <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that. And uh um, but I believe you. You know, things were, were, were a lot different then, and, you know, we, uh, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. You have, and, and I was reading the, the oral history that Chase Parham did of, of Swayze Field, and you and lots of uh-huh. others were quoted in that story. And, and one of the things that you said in that story was that you believed from the very beginning that the crowds would come at Ole Miss, that you would be able to build something where there were big crowds and, and I guess maybe even had a vision of the stadium growing to something close to what it's like now. What was it 19 years ago that made you believe that that was possible here? Well, you know, well, one, you know, you, you, just the, the fans, and I remember going around my first summer and fall and, you know, speaking at different events, and, you know, people were excited. People were, were, were hungry and thirsty and, you know, wanted a winner, and, you know, that's always important. And certainly, you know, being here in the South and in Mississippi, and, uh, and, you know, I watched us do it, you know, five hours south in Baton Rouge, and, uh, and I felt that we could, we could, you know, try to drive the same type of passion, and, uh, and so, you know, that was part of the system. The system wasn't just about homers and, you know, great pitchers. It was also about, you know, going to speak at places and trying to get people to believe in what you're doing and, you know, come come watch a baseball game and really, you know, find out how neat college baseball is. You know, a lot of people, you know, they've figured it out here in Oxford and their surrounding communities. But I thought, you know, a lot of people just don't, you know, they just never been to a college baseball game. And it's it's a neat sport. You know, it was interesting as I was kind of digging through some attendance numbers from those early years. I think the biggest crowd for any game you had that first season was about 5,000, which certainly was an overflow crowd at the time. You've sold sure. 7,000 season tickets this year. That's pretty yeah. remarkable. It really is, and you know, not a you know, not a reserve seat, you know, in the stadium. You know, one of the coaches asked me today. We just got off a practice. We're in the coach's locker room, and you know, I think as of this morning, the count was seventy-one oh one, you know, in season tickets. And remember, that's not counting the three thousand students that just put their chairs in right field today. You know, uh, you know, that look like Braveheart again as they rushed, you know, to, to claim their stake of you know turf out there. Uh, but you know. I don't know, you know, I was asked, you know, is there another stadium in the country where every seat sold? You know, yeah, we've got some general mission areas, obviously, in the outfield, but is there, you know, a stadium where, you know, every seat, you know, that's that's out there is sold? And, you know, it's a great question. I know mean, not in our league. I, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm not sure, you know, certainly LSU's probably close, but, you know, I don't know if they have every seat sold. And, uh, 
but it's uh, it's, it's quite a, a, an accomplishment. And, and the truth is, Richard, I get a lot of credit for it, but it's it's been a lot of people, a lot of believers along the way, and you know our current athletic director as much as anybody. You know where you know continues to to understand the importance of baseball, and you know we got some great fans. You know the people that buy the seventy one hundred tickets, and then of course you know the best students in the country outright. Mike Bianco on your radio talking Ole Miss baseball. They open on Friday at four o'clock against uh, against Wright State. You announced your your opening weekend rotation today. Will Etheridge going to start in game one? Zach Phillips, the junior college transfer, in game two, and then Gunnar Hoagland in game three. Why why are those the three that you you decided on for this opening weekend? Well, just you know, from from September to this point, they, you know, in my opinion. You know, they give us the best shot to win. So it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty easy answer. But, you know, there, there's some other guys that, you know, made it really close. And, you know, last year, our rotation, even though the days may have switched a little bit a couple weeks, but, uh, you know, we went with the same three guys in Rawls and Feigl and MacArthur the whole year. But, you know, that's the first time in a while. You know, at that stage. So, you know, I think it's a, our best bet. Will has been the most dominant without a doubt, uh, you know, and so he gets Friday night. Uh, to be honest with you, Phillips, uh, you know, had some good outings in the fall and some not so good outings, but his stuff's electric. I mean, he's up to 94, left handed, breaking ball change up, good competitor, uh, but he's pitched really well the last two weekends, really super dominant the last two weekends. And then Gunnar Hoagland has probably been the second most consistent guy behind Will. Mike, it's interesting. When we look at football players that, that make the transition from junior college to the D1 level or to the SEC level, sometimes there's like a, an acclimation period where they kind of have to adjust to the speed of the game. Is that a, a reasonable comparison with baseball, or is it altogether different when you've got, especially as a pitcher, a guy making that transition from Juco ball to, to the SEC? I don't know if, you know, I, I think there's a transition period, but I don't know if it's because of the speed of the game. You know, obviously he's going to face better better hitters you know, in our league than he did in junior college, uh, but I don't necessarily think that. I, I think it's, if there's a transition just like there are with uh, with high school players where, you know, sometimes you look around in the field and, you know, you always used to be the best guy, and now you look around and now you're not the best guy anymore. And I think mentally, you know, that wears on some of the guys. And they've always been the best guy on their team and on the field. And when they, you know, get here, they're not. And, uh, you know, for them to continue to believe and play with confidence if you're a position player or a pitcher and play the way that you've always have. And uh, I think the junior college kids, you know, uh, that transition period is, is shorter. And they're, they're 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 more likely to help you, but sometimes it does take them a year. Uh, but uh, you know, hopefully Zach's you know uh, figured it out because he's looked really well uh, the last two weeks, and uh, we're going to need him. There's been a lot that has been written about your offensive lineup. Some people calling it maybe the best lineup in the entire country. What what's your confidence level in in these guys' ability to swing the bats and? Maybe is is there a comparison for another team that you've had that that you felt this good about going into a season offensively? You know, I, I don't know, and it's it's hard. It's hard going you know, as you start the season. You know, so I think most of the things that we say is you know what they've done last year, and we return some of the starting nine, and, uh, and even though we lose a, a couple guys in Fortes and Golson that were you know 
big, big parts of that offense. You know, there's the guys that were here last year that now I think will be big parts as well as Elko and Gindel and Servidio, not to mention, uh, you know, a couple new guys. But it is, it's a, it's a really dynamic offense. We're really physical. We, we, we swing it from both sides. We, we got left handed hitters. We got right handed hitters. And we're, we're physical, but, you know, there's not a lot of guys that just clog up the bases. You know, even our physical guys, you know, run okay. You know, Elko, the six seven runs really good for a big guy. Six seven. He got Cockle at six eight. He got Thomas Dillard at six eight. So even you know all three of those guys are you know two hundred and twenty plus pounds, and they run like little guys. So uh, you know we're not uh, we're not going to break this solo base record, but we'll steal some bases. I think we we're fourth in the conference last year with uh, stolen bases. So uh, I think it's a dynamic offense, and I think the thing that makes it so special is you know one through nine. He just has a there's a pitcher on the other side of the ball. You just don't get a break. You know, usually, you know, you can pick and choose, you know, the guys to pitch to and eventually get to the bottom of the lineup where you can kind of take a breath. You know, this lineup, hopefully, if we swing the way we're capable, I think is, you know, it's kind of, you know, can suffocate you a little bit on the other side. Only got about a minute left. I think fans would be interested to know if there's a name or a couple of names that, that you think people maybe don't know now, but a month and a half into the season or a couple of months into the season, they're absolutely going to know that name. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about Phillips. I mean, if you're pitching number two for us, obviously we, we think he can pitch. And then the guy pitching on Sunday, Gunnar Hoagland, is a kid that turned down $2 million last year as a first-rounder in the pitching cost. So those two, there's two names you, you need to know right off the bat, Phillips and uh, Hoagland. But on the offensive side, you're probably the guy that's had, you know, the, the, you know, the best you know, September and October now into January that you know, didn't didn't play a lot for us last year is Tim Elko. And uh just a big physical right handed hitter. It's a third baseman by trade, but you know, uh Tyler Keenan's kinda of got that position locked down, so we moved him out to the outfield. He's been terrific out there. So I think that's you know, another position player along with maybe Anthony Servideo. Really flashy infielder that, you know, looks to be the next shortstop after Gray leaves. Certainly, I know a lot of folks are looking forward to it. Look forward to seeing you on Friday. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Richard. Take care. That's Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, beginning his 19th season. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.